Hello and welcome back to the Sunday Podcast presented by SportsShoes.com. I'm Ollie Lum. And I'm Matt Seddon. We are back for season three and it's going to be a good one. With the aim of raising the profile of British distance running, we're bringing you more content than ever. Every week we'll give you insights into the lives and training of some of the UK's top athletes and coaches. As well as all the latest updates from the races up and down the country and around the world. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcast streaming platforms. Keep a lookout for our new YouTube channel too, where we're posting workout videos, shoe reviews and much more. Stay up to date by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Sunday Podcast. And if you want to drop us a line, send us an email to info at sundaypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the episode. For this week's podcast, we spoke to Anita Bean. Anita's a registered nutritionist, health writer and author. Perhaps best known for a publication of The Complete Guide to Sports Nutrition, we spoke to Anita about the importance of nutrition for distance runners and much more. Enjoy. Okay, first off, Anita, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Well, thanks very much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, not at all. Um, first, can we just have an introduction to yourself? Like, how did you kind of get into this world of, of sports nutrition and what would you say your job title is? Yeah, okay. So I'm a registered nutritionist and I specialise in sports nutrition. Um, I've been running my own nutrition consultancy for just over 30 years, actually. <laughs> I mean, prior to that, I worked for a short time in the NHS and for the Dairy Council. So I've been a nutritionist for a long time. Um, and what I do, I work, well, sort of two aspects of my job. I'm a health writer. I've written in all this time quite a lot of books actually about 30 books and I have written probably hundreds of articles for various magazines but the three main ones that I write for at the moment are Cycling Weekly and Waitrose Food and Good Housekeeping but I've written for most of the sort of health fitness and sports titles that's Runners World and Women's Running for quite a while so health writing is, is part of what I do and the other part is as a nutrition practitioner so I give lots of talks to clubs, teams, individuals um, and large groups like the London Marathon, um, Ride London, um, National Running Show. So, you know, speaking is quite a big part of my role as well. So, yeah, I've kind of been in it for 30 years. But the reason I really got into sports nutrition really stemmed from my university days. So I was studying for nutrition and food science at the University of Surrey. And then I, for some reason, I started lifting weights because it really <laughs> seemed like a shortcut way to get quite fit <laughs> and quite, quite strong. Um, so during that time, I was really able to apply my knowledge on nutrition um, to the sport that I was doing. And I started competing and um, somehow within 10 years, I managed to win the British Bodybuilding Championships, which wasn't my initial aim. But I kind of, you know what it's like, you kind of get into a sport and I enjoyed it and I thought I was quite good at it. So uh, that was 10 years of training completely naturally obviously but that was yeah so I was uh, the other thing I should also say which which um, is quite interesting actually that I'm a lifelong 
vegetarian uh, more latterly I'm completely plant-based I'm completely vegan now but people have got a misconception thinking that you need huge amounts of protein to build muscle um, but I kind of buck the trend really I could show that you can be successful in terms of building strength and muscle uh, without eating meat um, so yeah I won the British uh, championships without eating meat but it what I was really aware of at the time I started working with a lot of athletes from different sports including many runners um, and some very well-known runners actually from back in the 90s and uh, there was just so little knowledge about sports nutrition so uh, I looked around I mean it wasn't even a subject you couldn't study it at university or college or anything like that so um, I really gathered together the research that was available at the time and I decided to put it all together in a book so that was actually the title of my first book the complete guide to sports nutrition so the first edition was published actually in 1992 and I've gone on to do another nine editions of that book I keep updating it roughly once every three years so it is or oh, it's past its 25th anniversary now but it is actually a recommended reading book on a lot of nutrition courses and a lot of PT courses coaching courses so I'm really proud of of that book. Um, I'm really happy that people have found it useful. And um, yeah, I also try to give a lot of practical information. So I've actually written four cookbooks in the last few years for athletes, um, vegetarian athletes cookbook, the runners cookbook, those are sort of two of the best known ones. So I try to be really practical and get that at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is to translate the science into an accessible language that people will find helpful and useful and you know put everything into practice. Yeah, I think that's the key translating it, isn't it? But, um, you know, you mentioned something there, you change uh, or you update that book once every three years. And that's an interesting point, because um, the nutrition world seems to always be changing. Um, so from when you started, like back in the 90s, how has how has it changed? Like, what were the common like, yeah, common advice and tips? And then now, like, is it any different? Yeah, there has been you know, quite a lot of change obviously new studies are coming out all mm. the time um probably one of the biggest changes actually is the advice with um carbohydrates um you know back in the day in the 1990s early noughties i suppose everybody was talking about high carbohydrate diets as a sort of blanket recommendation um there was no variability in carbohydrate intake, whereas now there's been a lot of research over the last 10 years or so that's shown that actually varying your carbohydrate intake, in other words, something that we call carb periodization, can actually be quite helpful in terms of performance. Um, and the idea of really tailoring nutrition to athletes' requirements. So whether you're an endurance athlete, whether you are a sprinter, um, you know, different types of training will require a different type of nutrition support. Um, but, you know, there was a time when we just write it all the time. Yep, your diet's got to be 60% calories from carbohydrate, no matter what. So that's really changed. You know, the, the carb recommendations have really changed. And we know that, um, you know, you can achieve different goals by consuming different amounts of carbs before, during 
um, your workout your and and your races um, so that's one thing and then the you know the other thing that I always watch with fascination is the number of new supplements that are coming out um, you know the, the market's just you know awash with you know a growing number of supplements and they come and go and they come and go and kind of goes full circle and you know we can obviously we can talk about supplementation a little bit as the conversation goes on but that's definitely an ever-changing and growing aspect of sports nutrition mm. yeah you mentioned sort of kind of the specifics of kind of between a sprinter or a distance runner and i appreciate this is a quite a loaded question but why is nutrition important for distance runners like if you're kind of a beginner to nutrition and maybe people listening are starting to consider what they're putting yeah. in what what are kind of the overarching reasons of why it's actually important for, for distance yeah well you're absolutely right I mean nutrition can have a really big impact on your health and that's really important to stress is that you know uh, unless you're healthy you're not going to be a good runner so it'll have a really important impact on your health um, and your performance and your recovery um, you know we say that you, you can't outrun a bad diet and expect to perform well um, unless you're very genetically talented so um, this with the kind of two aspects of nutrition you've got to look at your energy input as well as the nutritional quality of your diet and certainly if you're having um, a poorly planned diet you know with uh, you know the wrong amounts of fuel and the wrong types of fuel if it's a poor quality diet then that will definitely deplete your energy um, it's going to result in slower times and, and slower recovery times but on the other hand if you're having the right kinds of fuels enough enough calories enough energy and you know high quality nutrition that will definitely allow you to run for longer so improve your stamina your endurance it means that you'll be able to get greater gains in your strength um, and your speed um, it's going to improve your recovery after exercise, sort of speed up recovery, promote really good recovery between your workouts. Um, definitely helps to avoid fatigue, definitely helps to avoid illness. And of course, you know, it's the plague of every runner is avoiding illness, avoiding injuries. So, you know, a really good quality diet will definitely help to minimize those two terrible things that happen to runners. So, yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, when, when if you're on a diet right now, like you say you've got a very basic kind of normal diet, um, can you change it overnight? Or, you know, how would you integrate the small changes? Yeah, OK, so I mean, if we're taking it back to basics, I'll say number one is to ensure that you get your energy input, right? So consuming enough calories. And that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see amongst runners, actually, is that they're simply under fueling their training and therefore they're not really maximizing their performance so getting the basics right is so important firstly um, energy um, I mean what you have to remember is that running places a lot of stress on the body so it's not just about energy expenditure it's that it has an effect on every system in your body it affects you know hormonal output and everything so that's why it's so important that you are 
you know, supplying everybody's system with enough energy and that will help to minimize, you know, this this rise in cortisol, which is a stress hormone that can that that happens um, when you exercise, particularly if you're doing intense training or you're doing long distance running. And so if you fail to eat enough and you're you're under fueling your running, then the chances are you're going to experience greater fatigue. You won't be able to maximize, you know, your gains in, in endurance and definitely you will underperform so once you've done that once you've sort of really you know taken a good honest look at your energy intake um in terms of putting together sort of a, a basic diet for, for for you know for for maximum performance for runners is a really handy rule to divide your plate into thirds okay i know it sounds a little bit simplistic but honestly it really does work so a third of your plate are your fruit and veg a third are your high carbohydrate foods so the the whole the, um if you like whole foods carbohydrates we're not talking about sweets and cakes or anything like that we're talking about bread potatoes pasta rice noodles and oats um, a third of your plate would be the high protein foods um, so here we're talking about beans and lentils you know, the plant proteins as well as the animal proteins like the uh, chicken fish and dairy but on top of that you also need to add the healthy fats so that's the unsaturated fats so I haven't put a, a part of the plate for them but it's really important you know, that every single meal has got to include some kind of fruit or vegetable um, and biggest variety as possible so again that's another really big downfall of runners is that they don't get the variety in their diet they just stick to like one or two types of vegetables mm -hmm. so whole variety always think about the rainbow have you got color on your plate um, with the carbohydrates you know go for the the whole food kind of carbohydrates the whole grains if we're talking about you know oats and um, breads and cereals whole grains really really important to get the fiber that's important for your gut health um, and then the protein is important because as a runner you do need more protein than a non-athlete um, so non-athlete would need around about 0.75 grams per kilogram body weight an athlete will need somewhere between 1.2 and 2 grams so it's roughly double you know compared to a couch potato you're going to need roughly double the amount of protein even if you're a distance runner and you think it's all about carbs it's not you need those proteins to to help repair your muscles after training and also to uh, repair the mitochondrial proteins. I'm sure you know mitochondria are the, the powerhouses of your cells. That's where you make the energy. So you need you need to supply enough protein to support that recovery process. And then of course the un, unsaturated fats that I mentioned. So we're talking about avocados, nuts, seeds, olive oil, and oily fish like salmon. So these are really important for promoting good recovery after exercise and ensuring you've got really healthy cell membranes. So that's a sort of in a nutshell, you know, that's the ideal, you know, healthy runners plates. So it's not about a pile of pasta, <laughs> you know, which is what people think it's about, you know, they, they think it's about shoveling in lots and lots of carbohydrates if you're a distance runner, but it's really about getting the balance and getting huge variety of foods and, and eating colourful. I mean, if you remember nothing else from this bit of the answer then just think about you know color is my have I got a colorful plate in front of me well I'm intrigued I don't want to put you on the spot but what would you recommend for breakfast because I feel like that is a very um you talk about color it's a very bland uh well at least from my perspective is it's either just cereal 
what kind of toast and the options you know they uh oh, okay you know, no so okay so if we had a most, yeah most sure. runners are the same yeah so if, sure if we take the selling point so porridge is probably one of the most popular types of breakfast that runners go for so porridge okay you've got your oats you've got your your protein if you've got some kind of milk whether it's dairy or non-dairy um but you've then got to add your fruit or veg. I'm not suggesting you add vegetables to porridge necessarily. <laughs> there are other ways of adding it to breakfast. So fruits, so add colourful berries. It could be a handful. I personally love blueberries with my breakfast, um, but it can be mixed berries. It can be fresh or frozen. You know, you can buy mixtures of berries, whatever is in season. Um, if you don't, I mean, berries are particularly good for runners, actually, because they're high in poly polyphenols so these are antioxidant compounds that help promote recovery and have an anti-inflammatory effect so adding your berries is brilliant but you can add other fruit as well don't go for the standard banana I mean you can but not every day okay so sometimes go for your bananas but think variety some days you might fancy apricots it might be peaches um, nothing wrong with white fruit I suppose like like pears and apples throughout the winter but you know we've always got frozen fruits available to us and that adds so much color plus you want your healthy fats which I've mentioned so you add in some some nuts so I love almonds I love uh, pecans and walnuts are my real favorites but mixed nuts would be brilliant some people like seeds and I'll tell you one final tip and that this is a real game changer if you start toasting your nuts then that just transforms the taste I mean you know it, it turns the food from being quite quite bland and hard work into something that's super tasty it adds so much more texture so definitely you always think of those those essential fats in your meal so now you've got a really interesting and colorful breakfast in a porridge on the other hand I'll give you one more choice for breakfast. So if you like your toast at breakfast, there's so much that you can do with toast. I and mean, first of all, go for a whole grain variety. So it can be wholemeal or it can be rye bread if you want. So you're getting more fiber, more nutrients. Um, so then we've got options. I like to add avocado. Um, if you want to add extra protein, you can add an egg to that. Or if you are plant-based, you can add nut butter to that um, or even hummus actually so that makes a really good nutritious breakfast I've mentioned vegetables so although avocado is a fruit but you can add things like um, spinach or tomatoes that goes really well then add some some sprinkle on some seeds it could be kia seeds it could be I like to add um, sunflower seeds or mixed seeds so you've suddenly got a much more interesting breakfast um, but if that doesn't take your fancy you could have toast you could add on top of that um, a layer of nut butter it could be peanut butter almond butter whatever you like they're all really really healthy uh, on top of that add some bananas and you know what I would add a dollop of yogurt so it can be regular Greek yogurt so that's higher in protein or if you're plant-based like me I add a soy a Greek star soy yogurt so you're getting extra protein um, and I think that makes it's really colorful it's really tasty you can keep varying it with different types of fruit different types of nut butter so you've got every you know honestly every nutrient there that you could possibly want for your breakfast mm. Awesome. Um, some, some great ideas in there. I just have one one question on some of those because I, I think uh, I know someone like myself. Um, I mean, the, these are kind of work really well for me kind of post training. Um, what advice would you give people maybe that struggle with sort of gut issues, particularly going into maybe 
longer training events and things like that where maybe having some of those types of foods um, like you struggle to like keep it down uh, if that makes sense yeah sure I mean gut problems are really uh, common amongst distance runners really once you're running for longer than about 10 miles um, mm-hmm. it's almost an inevitability and we don't know exactly some people are just more susceptible but it's something to do with the way the gut behaves during intense exercise which is often exacerbated in the heat so we're coming up for the summer months now so we know that people who are more prone to these gut issues may struggle more so of course um, before if if you are somebody who's prone to gut problems and you know that you're going to do a long and high intensity run, um, it's a good idea actually to lower your fiber intake in case that that triggers off problems. Um, so perhaps go for low, vari- low fiber varieties of bread. So you might, you know, this is the opposite advice that I would normally give, but white rather than brown bread. Um, you might want to just experiment with different types of food. Sometimes cooked fruit actually has less of an effect, less of a stimulatory effect on the gut. So you might want to go for your stewed apples and pears rather than raw fruit. So that might be an idea. Um, you know, porridge and granola, they're quite high in fibres. So you might want to go for a, a lower type of low fibre cereal or maybe something that's digested more more easily, quickly, like instant oats, you know, the sort that, um, you know, sort of ready break type of oats, that might help you as well. A lot of the time it's down to experimentation. So everyone's a little bit different, but we certainly know that, um, you know, the gut can be really quite sensitive during long duration and high intensity exercise. So you might also want to think about avoiding caffeine. A lot of people actually don't, you know, some runners have said to me, you know, I had quite a lot of coffee before I I go running uh, without realizing that it's the caffeine that can sometimes irritate the lower gut it can irritate the large intestine and trigger off unwanted symptoms so that's something but it is different for everyone it's often useful to keep like a food symptom diary and try and work out correlations that that might um, give you a few clues as to what to avoid in future yeah, it's very useful. And, uh, you know, on that transitions quite nicely into how do we fuel around runs, but also after it's a big thing. You know, you obviously spoken about the three meals a day, like um, most people, I'm sure, have three meals a day anyway. But, you know, how important is it to get that nutrition before a run just right and especially just after as well? Yeah, so pre-exercise, first thing to remember, it's the energy that you're going to be using, or more specifically, the carbohydrates that you're going to be using, doesn't come from just the meal before, it's actually all the everything you've been eating for the previous 24 hours or so so really your preparation starts at the end of your last run so that refueling process is exactly that you're you're replacing the energy and you're preparing your muscles and your body for your next workout or for your next race but having said that the purpose of your pre-exercise meal is really to top up your liver glycogen so for example if you're doing a morning workout 
you've been sleeping, you have depleted some of your liver glycogen, probably not your muscle glycogen because you've not been moving around. Um, and that's really helpful if you're doing a long distance run, you will be reliant on the liver glycogen, certainly in the latter stages of that run. So you'll need some carbohydrates. So your, your pre-exercise meal should be carb focused, easily digestible that's so important you don't want the food staying there for long so therefore quite low in fat and then if you are prone to gut issues you might want to lower the fiber so um, carb focused meals um, I've already mentioned there's you know the porridge granola um, mm. type of meals depends on the time of day um, so for example let's say let's say okay let's take different scenarios say you're doing an early morning run and you want to get that done before breakfast so it's a fasted run you've really got to focus on carving up well the day before so that evening meal will be really important and then I would recommend about um, roughly 15 to 30 minutes before you set off on your early morning run uh, to have a little bit of carbohydrates. So some runners like to have a gel um, that's not necessarily the best thing to have it's just convenient it's easy and it's quick I personally would prefer a whole food source like a banana or a little bit of dried fruit. Um, I tend to make my own dried fruit bars. So these little energy bars that you just make from like dates and nuts and peanut butter. You could have a small slice of toast. So a little bit of carbohydrate. And the idea is just to give you that, that initial boost of energy, which will last you into the first part mm -hmm. of your run. Yeah. Do you recommend against fasted running? Um as a rule, I, I mean, they do have a purpose. Now, I think as a rule, and particularly for female athletes, um, fasted runs puts a lot of stress on the body. So everybody needs to bear that in mind. Fasted runs puts so much stress on the body. Um, the reason why people do fasted runs is usually to try and get a an edge on their performance. So it can force the body to burn more fats if you're less reliant on glycogen stores there is um, evidence that it can increase uh, mitochondrial biogenesis. I said that slowly, it's a bit of a mouthful. That means increasing the number of mitochondria and also the number of fat burning enzymes that you make. Whether or not that actually translates into better race performance is still kind of in the balance. We don't really know. But I think what I'm really concerned about as a nutrition practitioner is that people are kind of using it as a method of weight control as well. So as I said, it puts a lot of stress in the body. So you get a rise in cortisol levels. And I think therefore runners are in danger perhaps of not maximizing the, the adaptations to, to their exercise if, if they get it wrong. So if you're doing high intensity exercise in a completely fasted state with low glycogen stores, you're not consuming carbohydrates during that run, that you've just got to bear in mind that that will put a lot of stress on your body, um, which is which is which can be quite bad news for female runners in terms of disrupting the, the menstrual cycle um, and perhaps increasing your susceptibility to illness that so can have a depressive effect on your immune system. Um, so I kind of caution it. I think fasted runs can work for more elite runners if they're carefully done and in which case I would recommend doing them before sort of low intensity moderate intensity runs rather than your your key workouts so when I say key as you know that means your sort of high quality workouts like 
in you know, high intensity intervals, your hills, you know, the really hard, tough, high intensity work, but perhaps for long, longish, easy, you know, your, your easy runs, then I think fasted runs you could probably get away with and there may be a small benefit. But at the end of the day, really what we're talking about is really supporting the quality of your training the best that you can through nutrition and it's not necessarily through fasted training mm. does all that make sense there's a, mm -hmm. <laughs> a few sort of caveats within that <laughs> yeah for sure um and, and just on that and i think it relates to what you made earlier about kind of getting the basics right first what are some signs that athletes might be under fueling just overall in their diets okay so with females, number one, it would be that you'd notice um, your periods would stop. So the menstrual cycle becomes disrupt disrupted. So if you're missing your periods, then that would definitely be a huge red flag. And that would indicate that, you know, your body's hormonal system is disrupted and therefore not healthy. Um, but other warnings are everybody needs to, to, to look out for um I suppose undue fatigue. So you're, you're, it's a persistent fatigue that's not proportional to, say, the amount of sleep that you're getting or the amount of training that you're getting. Um, struggling to recover after your workouts again, it's sort of a disproportionate struggling to recover. Uh, normally, you might find that you would bounce back within a day or so. Now you're finding that you're turning up at your next run, feeling you've got heavy legs, you're feeling tired and just not quite right. Struggling with um, illnesses, you know, the persistent colds, upper respiratory tract infections that don't seem to go away, that linger for ages and ages, um, persistent injuries, particularly things like stress fractures and just being more prone to injuries than you used to. So I see that quite a lot, actually, um, as the running club that I go to and um, a lot of running up males particularly actually even males you know middle-aged male runners who are sort of trying to get really lean um you just know that they're, they're probably not eating enough it can be inadvertent though I mean it's not always deliberate it's not always just people trying to get leaner and deliberately cutting down their food intake um it can you know so, so with these middle-aged males I'm seeing a lot of time it's actually inadvertent is that they're doing more and more training but they're just not consuming enough food you know to to, to cope with that increased training um so some of them are sort of branching out they're doing always running and then they start swimming as well they start cycling as well they want to get fitter and fitter and fitter but they can actually end up uh, with this mismatch of fuel intake versus energy output um, and that can lead to a condition that we call low energy availability and what that means is that once you subtract the energy that you've expended through your planned exercise session that there's then an inadequate amount of energy left to fuel your body's biological functions. So, you know, that's your brain function, your heart function, the functioning of all of your organs, all your organ systems. And so what happens is that the, the, the body, you know, has to think, well, what's the, what's the most dispensable function? You know, if we've only got a limited amount of fuel, you know, what can I 
cut down on and often it's reproductive function in females, but it also has um, an effect on testosterone production in men. So they can end up with low testosterone levels. And if this is allowed to go on you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks, um, it can result in a condition called REDS. Probably everybody's heard of it by now. It is quite widely talked about, which is relative energy deficiency in sport. And that has um, really quite a profound effect on every aspect of your health and certainly affects your performance. And one thing I think that's really interesting, actually, with, with runners, I mean, I know it's widely talked about both amongst you know young athletes and more experienced athletes. They say that initially they, they notice when they get very, very lean that their, their running kind of improves, you know, right. the times are getting better and they think, well, fantastic, you know, I'm, I, I'm doing really well. And so they, they carry on inadvertently um, underfueling with the slow energy availability, but eventually it does catch up and it can, one of the big warning signs is stress fractures. So they notice that they start getting bone fractures and that's a really serious sign because it's then quite difficult to, you know, replace bones and to restore bone health and that puts you at risk of osteoporosis of course and other long-term health problems so it's something that's that's definitely growing in awareness which uh yeah athletes have got to be very very careful not to fall into that common trap is there a safe way i mean you must have worked with people who have come to you not just for nutritional advice but also to maybe lose weight i mean that is one of the natures of high performance sport right so is there a safe way to lose weight should we be counting calories and macros and all that kind of stuff yeah that's a really good question actually because you know weight you know creating an energy deficit doesn't inevitably lead to reds it can you know commonly mm. can so if you know for people that really do need to drop a few pounds um First and foremost, I would say to them, well, you know, don't focus on counting calories or anything like that. Really focus on the nutrition quality of your diet. And you know what? If you're really focusing on whole foods, so by that I mean eliminating as far as possible these ultra-processed foods. Um, if you want a, an easy definition of ultra-processed foods, I like the one that uh, Dr. Chris Van Tullican is using. He says that if you look at food, if it contains an ingredient that you wouldn't use in your kitchen at home, then it's an ultra-processed food. So generally it's you know, foods that are packaged mm. um, and they'll contain some kind of additive or some, even something like whey protein actually is counted as, a, as an ultra processed food so we're even talking about you know most breakfast cereals bars a lot of sports nutrition products are ultra processed foods but anyways eliminating those foods will actually really really help so the focus really is on improving the quality of your diet by going for whole foods natural foods wherever possible and then it's really that way you're not eating those things not you the, the chocolates the, the crisps the alcohol that all of a sudden they've gone from your diet so that's number one the second thing i would do is that you know if it really if that's not working or if um, maybe you've already done that and you still need to drop pounds then if you need to really cut down then do that only on your rest days. So don't do that in the days when you need the fuel for exercise um, because you cannot compromise your performance. You cannot compromise your recovery. So fuel your training days properly. And then if you really need to make adjustments in terms of reducing your energy intake, then do that on your non-training days or 
your very, very light training days. Yeah, awesome. Um, and on that, you kind of, kind of mentioned the supplements there and mentioned it a bit earlier on. Mm -hmm. Should we be supplementing? And, and if so, which are the good ones to look out for, essentially? Okay, so you probably know that I'm going to say go for food first. <laughs> or I'm not a supplement promoter or fan. I've never worked <laughs> for a supplement company or anything like that. So um, I suppose the bottom line is that a supplement can never... Uh, be a substitute for a poorly planned diet um, you can't get away with eating badly and then taking a pill or a pack you know, a lot of people are taking things like greens powders because they're, oh well I haven't got time for fruit and vegetables it's not the same you haven't got the fiber in these greens powders so um, in terms of supplements okay so there's kind of two categories there's a sort of uh, food type ones such as gel you know like carbohydrate supplements and protein supplements so they simply represent a convenient option so people say do I really need to take gels do I really need to take energy drinks for example well they simply represent a convenient way of getting fast absorbed carbohydrates um, particularly during runs and during workouts um, so they're simply an option they're not essential you can obviously get whole food um, alternatives so you could be going for your bananas your dried fruit your medjool dates um, homemade energy bars those kind of things so the other type of supplements that we're talking about are the performance enhancing supplements now the ioc international olympic committee they put together a big review uh, which was published let me have a think I think it was 2018 I hope I'm right I'll have to check that later on anyway oh, so in my. this report the IOC report um, they assessed all the evidence for something you know, hundreds of supplements the vast majority don't work there's a very small handful which have got you know robust evidence behind them now with respect to running I would say there's perhaps only two or three that would be of any help. Um, caffeine has been shown to have a good amount of evidence behind it, possibly beetroot juice. I mean, I'll talk about these in a tiny bit more detail if you'd like me to, possibly beetroot juice or nitrates. Um, the other one is creatine, so that would apply more for sprinters or those doing you know, high intensity interval training. Um, that's pretty much it you know there, there are there, there are one or two others there but they're they're less relevant to runners so there's you know really very small oh sorry I, I missed out a crucial one that's vitamin d so that applies to all athletes ensuring that you've got normal vitamin d status i'm not saying that we've got to supplement but many runners have got low vitamin d status so um taking a low dose supplement um is actually good advice from a health point of view as well as a performance point of view so those those really are the only ones that a, a runner really needs to worry about and um yeah do you want me to just sort of summarize yeah touch, of... touching into like their benefits a little bit might be good and and uh maybe kind of doses as well i mean what is the golden rule for caffeine 200 mg is it yeah, yeah. so with with caffeine okay it works on the brain so it works by blocking the action of a chemical called adenosine. So our bodies produce adenosine all day long and then it kind of makes us feel tired and sleepy. 
but you know towards the end of the day what caffeine does is that it blocks the action of this and so it helps to improve your alertness and makes you feel more energetic um, it also means that you have a lower perception of fatigue so in other words running feels easier so it's a pretty good thing for runners mm. now in terms of when to take caffeine um it peaks in the bloodstream approximately 30 to 60 minutes after taking it. Some people find they notice an effect earlier. I personally would notice an effect after 15 minutes of having some kind of caffeine. But if you want to sort of get the peak level, uh, roughly 30 to 60 minutes, and maybe just before um, a long workout or a race, but the effects last for several hours, you know, three, four, five hours. So you don't need to keep taking it for long mm. and it will sort of do you well um in terms of doses um studies most of the studies have looked at doses of three to six milligrams per kilo so let's say i'm going to use myself as an example <laughs> I'm, I'm roughly 50 so 50 kilos okay so i'm gonna say 50 to make it a nice round number so i would theoretically need about 150 milligrams if I had it on a relatively empty stomach, but if I've had some kind of food, which I do before my workouts, you can actually get with a lower dose between one and three milligrams per kilogram body weight. So for me, I actually only have one milligram per kilogram body weight. So that's roughly 50 milligrams. If you're looking at so caffeine supplement like Pro Plus, I would only take one tablet. Obviously, if you're heavier than me, then you'd need a little bit more. Now, the other, finally, the other thing to say is that not everybody responds the same to caffeine. Okay, so there are responders, non-responders, and there is a genetic basis to that. So some people have got um, an expression of a gene that, that is able to, to metabolize caffeine. Um, others uh, can metabolize it much more slowly and they're more susceptible to side effects of caffeine. So they're more likely to experience shakiness sleeplessness um, and can actually feel quite unwell I think I'm probably more that side of the spectrum and I do know some runners actually who just don't get on with caffeine but mm. other other runners do find caffeine really quite useful um, so it kind of varies but you know the I suppose the one piece of advice I'll give all the London marathon runners actually and that is don't use it for the first time just before your marathon so only use it if you've used it in training and you know for sure that it agrees with you. Well, you know, I was going to say, can you overdose? But uh, is it just, I just thought it was kind of maybe coffee that didn't agree with people. Or if you take a tablet, does it, you know, give you the same kind of adverse effects? Yeah, it's a I mean, supplements. you're right, coffee, ca coffee contains caffeine. But the problem is that you don't know how much caffeine you're getting from a yeah. cup of coffee. Um there was a, a survey that was published a little bit earlier this year where they analysed the caffeine content of coffees from various coffee chains. And there was a huge variation. You know, some Starbucks, I think, came up quite low, whereas mm. other coffee places came up really high. So if you're if you're relying on coffee, even if it's homemade coffee, whether it's a cafetiere or an espresso machine, mm. you don't really know. So at least with caffeine pills and gels and energy drinks which tells you exactly how much you're getting you've got a little bit more certainty in there and you can kind of track you know you can kind of see okay I've had 
50 milligrams, that's how I feel. Or you can, or I've had 150 milligrams or 200, and then you can correlate that with your performance. So I think, again, it's it's quite individual, you know, it varies, it can vary a lot from you know, your ideal caffeine dose will be different from mine and different from everybody else's. That's good. And something I just want you to touch on is creatine. Um, obviously, we are this is running uh, podcast and you said it was, you know, I guess, more conducive for sprinters. But uh, there may be a few 400, 800 runners out there. What does, what does creatine do? How, how do you take that? Yeah, so creatine, although it's found in a few foods in the diet, like meat and fish, um, but you would need to eat enormous quantities of it really to have a performance enhancing effect. So you've got creatine in every single cell in our body. Um, it combines with a compound called with, with phosphate from creatine phosphate. Now, when this creatine phosphate is split during energy production, uh, that, that, that's, sorry, that's how energy is produced very, very fast. So it is really an er- I suppose an energy currency that is used to regenerate that ATP um, during um, you know short duration high intensity exercises sprinting lifting you know if you're doing weight every runner must be doing some sort of weight training or, or strength training I should say so it, it's potentially quite helpful to a lot of runners um, and also if you're doing repeated sprints then it can be useful the reason is that it can regenerate your um, creatine phosphate levels very fast um, during during these sort of repeated high intensity bouts of exercise. So it has been shown in many, it's probably the most studied, of, you know, maybe after caffeine, it's one of the most studied supplement mm. out there. Um, so how to take it, it should be taken as creatine monohydrate. That is the, I suppose, cheapest and most well studied form of creatine. Um, there are two ways of taking it. You can either take it as a loading dose over five days. So you would need to take quite high amounts. I think it's some, um, the recommended amount is 20 grams for per day for five days. Um, but you could take it as a lower dose um lower dose over a long period of time such as over a month and that's been shown to have um, equally beneficial effects in terms of strength and performance and recovery but what creatine really can do is to boost performance and it can also help to accelerate or improve recovery between those high intensity bursts during a workout and ultimately can lead to gains in muscle mass and muscle strength and Mm. um, sprint performance. Um, But yes, there there are anecdotal side effects of creatine, such as um, weight gain, uh, which may not be something that runners are looking for. So it, um, yeah, it's not something you can make a blanket recommendation about. It's probably got to be individualized interesting yeah and on that sort of advice about kind of blanket recommendations would your kind of advice be if people have access to it would it be to seek out a nutritionist for themselves um or kind of i guess not everyone has that access so what what is kind of the best option for people just trying to improve their diet in that way yeah you mean with respect to creatine or with respect to supplementation or supplements and and diet diet and nutrition more generally as well because obviously i think the best option probably would be to seek out a nutritionist but um, obviously not everyone has access to no no of course not um well 
well actually you could buy and read my book <laughs> or you can go no <laughs> absolutely no, not, or you can go to and I've got all the information it's actually on my website you know I've got a lot of articles there's a lot of information that's certainly free to access on my website there is good information out there and I would just say that whatever you're reading about nutrition always check the source and make sure it comes from a credible source and everything is is evident is supported by decent evidence you know there is a lot of misinformation out there um you know when if you do a google search for something so let's say you're interested in i don't know um let's go let's say caffeine or creatine or something like that the chances are you'll be showing you know, google will show you something that is supported by a supplement company so you only get sort of a a certain angle to it and um yeah so always look very carefully at the source so if it's who's written it you know how qualified you know is there qualified you know look at the qualifications of the author of that article um look uh, are they citing uh, good sources of evidence that's published in peer-reviewed journals all that sort of thing but of course a lot of people get their information from social media you know from good old Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems as if that is the Wild West, you know, whether it's fitness advice or training advice, nutrition advice, you've got to be super, super careful. So you've got to look very carefully at not only the qualifications, but also the motivations of the person providing advice on social media. And of course, are they being sponsored? You're meant to put a sort of hashtag ad if, if they're promoting a, a product or, or, a, a, or a company. So they don't always do that. So always be very sceptical of getting your advice from social media. Um, I guess social media is quite good just for ideas. You know, if you're looking at recipes and that kind of thing, that's quite fun and it gives you more inspiration for putting together meals and snacks and drinks. Yeah, no, I definitely yeah, go on. Then. Yeah, sorry, I definitely would recommend people to kind of look at your blog post because we did we mm -hmm. use some of those to kind of help kind of create some of these mm -hmm. questions. And I and I would say that there's loads of information on there just for people listening. So. Yeah, and I think like what I like about you and Ita is it is actually quite simple. I think we can overcomplicate it quite a lot. But you know, when you talk about having a meal, just splitting it into thirds and having a colourful meal, I mean that is not rocket science. Like we can all go down the supermarket to buy colourful produce and and cook a meal like that. So I think it is easier than people make out. And I think there's obviously just a lot of fads that people want to try. But uh, yeah, there's no there's no quick results, really. Um, I think knowing that it's for a performance benefit, not um, so like eating well allows you to perform better, not losing weight allows you to perform better. You know, I think it's remembering that, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you've given a brilliant summary, Matt, of what I've been talking about. You've just condensed everything into about 30 seconds. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah, no. And then, you know, let's talk about uh, being a vegetarian and a vegan, though, because obviously, you know, you're one yourself. Yeah, it's quite a lot of people out there who are veggie, who are vegan. Um, so how do you kind of integrate a healthy, balanced diet, um, you know, get the protein in like we spoke about when you are a vegetarian or vegan? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of motivation, you know, different motivations that people have for adopting a plant-based diet or even even just cutting down on meat. I mean, you don't need to be like fully plant-based. I don't like putting labels on people. Actually, you know, I'm always actually quite hesitant to say, oh, I'm, I eat a vegan diet because actually occasionally, you know, I do have cheese and so on. But it's not a religion. You know, I can't say, oh, gosh, I've cheated and I've committed some terrible thing. So I don't like putting labels. 
but a lot of people are cutting down on animal products generally and so the motivations may well be for health reasons and performance reasons and I think that probably is that you know if people are honest that's probably the biggest reason people do it um, but also for ethical reasons and for me um, that is the biggest thing um, is you know, to preventing the exploitation of animals because the truth is that we've got a choice of foods we don't need to get all our nutrition from animals we can get all of our nutrition from plants um, and then it's finally environmental is the other big motivator particularly for a lot of young people who care about um, the environment nature and the climate but when it comes to ensuring that you are getting everything that you need from a plant-based diet um, the thing that most people worry about is protein of course so number one thing to remember is that all plants contain all of the amino acids so it's a mistake to think that there are you know plants lack certain you know there's a complete absence of amino acids in certain foods they don't they all contain some it's just that some are there in smaller amounts so for example grains um you know like rice and oats they can be low in a particular amino acid called lysine whereas um beans and pulses, they can be low in another amino acid called methionine. But provided you eat you know, a variety of proteins, this is the key thing, okay, so the variety of proteins so at the day, doesn't even have to be the same meal. So you're having a variety of, there's kind of four categories that you think about. There are the grains, that's once one category. There are the, the pulses, I'm talking about beans, lentils, chickpeas, that's another category. Um, nuts and seeds, that's another category um, and another category. And the, the fourth one would be soya products like um, tofu, edamame beans and soya based milks and yogurts. So as long as you're getting a variety of those, uh, that's the most important thing. Second important thing that people really worry about plant-based sites is that they can't get enough protein um, and that won't be able to develop muscle they won't be able to get strong you know they'll be weaker so there have been a few recent studies conducted by Mark Messina so he's a well-known researcher in plant but you know particularly soya and plant-based proteins um, Mark Messina has done a review quite recently of um, studies where they compared um, plant proteins with animal proteins in exercising individuals who are doing strength training and what they really the conclusion was that, that provided you're meeting a threshold of protein intake uh, which seems to be about 1.6 grams per kilogram body weight for those who do resistance training then it doesn't matter where that protein comes from it could come from animal or plant sources equally so there was no difference in terms of your strength gains no difference in terms of your muscle mass no difference in terms of performance mm -hmm. and indeed there have been a lot of studies actually over I say a lot it's an increasing number of studies over the last 10 to 20 years that have shown that having a plant-based diet is no disadvantage when it comes to performance for endurance athletes you know they've looked at runners they've looked at cyclists um, they've looked also at those who do resistance training um, a plant-based diet provided it's well planned and it's really varied it can definitely support athletic performance um, so that that's 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 a really crucial thing to remember um, but when it comes to making sure that you know that you're getting key nutrients b12 is a big one so yes vegans will need to supplement 
either through fortification. So, for example, plant-based milks nowadays are all fortified with B12 um, or through a supplementation. So you'd need to take 10 micrograms per day. Um, the other thing that you'd need to look at supplementing possibly would be omega-3s. So that's what I take. The two supplements I take are B12 as part of a multivitamin and um, omega-3s. So although the jury's still a little bit out as to vegans really need to take uh, supplements. Um, you can get plant-based sources of omega-3s, so we're talking about kia seeds, walnuts, but there's so few and far between. So just as a safety, I take a, a supplement that's based, it's an algae supplement. Um, yeah, I guess we can say it's a little bit expensive, unfortunately, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's health, isn't it? So you've got to go, yeah, you've got to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the only other one. And then people worry about iron, but quite honestly, it's not been shown to be a big problem amongst vegans or vegetarians because the body adapts over time. You just absorb more from your food. Um, and you should only take iron if you've been diagnosed with a deficiency. So don't just start supplementing with iron to be on the safe side. You you've, you've only you should only do it if you've got a low iron status and um, you've actually got you know, the results, the blood mm. results to prove it. Um, does does, that, does that, that covers it in a nutshell? I suppose, do you, I mean, I can say something about calcium if your people worry about getting enough calcium from a vegan diet, but that isn't a problem if you're having enough um, plant milk. So particularly you know, soy milk is really the most nutritious plant milk, but um, all of these milks are actually supplemented with, sorry, fortified with calcium so it really isn't a problem for vegans yeah no i think, I think that's great advice and um, i'm someone that follows kind of vegetarian diet myself but i think it's just oh. interesting to hear you say about for, for most people it's even just not worrying about cutting down their meat intakes it's not necessarily pushing people to go um, vegan or vegetarian but actually just having a little bit less um, it, there's nothing to worry about in terms of performance or health kind of benefits yeah great um, yeah, and, and Anita, we just wanted to finish on almost some quick tips for people um, who, who might be listening. And then maybe, I don't know, for example, I'll, I'll start off with one. So it might be if I've got my biggest workout of the season um, coming up on Friday, what sort of timings maybe am I looking at for kind of eating something the night before um, in terms of how long before my workout should I be eating? And then what kind of recommended key foods would they be going for there? Yeah. Okay. So, anyway. when is your workout in the morning, or what, what are you planning to do? Uh, hypothetically, so yeah, we'll say say I'm say I've got a I don't know a big uh, half marathon session at four p.m. on Friday. Um, what am I doing from Thursday night, essentially, just to kind of give people an idea? Oh, okay. All right. So the day before, you're right. The day before is really important. You want to ensure that you are well fueled. So focuses on carbohydrate. Um, whole great whole food sources of carbohydrate to ensure that you filled up your glycogen stores at least 24 hours prior to that big workout or event. Um, then you're going to be having your pre-event meal about two to four hours beforehand. So again, carb focused, low fat, possibly low fiber, actually, if you're prone to gut problems. So this could be something like 
porridge, granola, or toast, depending on the time of day. But it could, if you if you're working at four p.m. your lunch, it could be something like a baked potato, either with um, hummus or beans or tuna. Um, it could be a simple rice dish that would be my personal preference, um, or it could be a simple pasta dish. So something like that, um, and then just before your so you, you need to allow adequate time for digestion absorption and then roughly 15 to 30 minutes beforehand a small amount of carbs such as a banana with dried fruit or a gel um, during the event if you are doing it for longer than 90 minutes you'll need to take on board some additional fuel so that could be in the form of sport nutrition products like gels and drinks but it could be whole food sources such as um you know some people like sweets and block you know these energy mm. blocks i mm. know oh, that's that's not whole food source sorry um it could be yeah bananas dried fruit homemade energy bars and you want to be aiming for 30 to 60 grams per hour for most workouts but you know for very prolonged exercise you could go up to 90 grams and you get your carbs from a variety of different sugars glucose and fructose and then after your event that's really really important to kickstart that recovery process so you want to, to rehydrate you want to get the carbs back in to refuel and you want the protein in that's really important to start repairing the muscle fibers that you've broken down that's the three r's the rehydrate refuel repair and uh, so perfect um, post-exercise snacks or meal would be based perhaps on yogurt so it could be either dairy yogurt greek yogurt or a soya yogurt so get your yogurt with your nuts your fruit, your bananas and berries, definitely go for the berries, actually. Um, that would be perfect. Or you can make that into a smoothie. So you would have some kind of milk, dairy or plant-based milk with berries, with bananas. Some people like to add cherry juice. That's been shown possibly to improve uh, recovery after exercise. Um, so those are really, really good. And then if you're having a meal, I personally would go for something like a three bean chili or a dal with rice, um, but something like a, a, maybe a stir fry. If you're plant based, go for the tofu. If not, you go for your chicken or your prawns, something like that. Um, so you've got lots and lots of options. But it's the protein, the carbs, the colourful vegetables in a nutshell. Mm. And I think I just want to ask how how important is it to be consistent? Like obviously. Yeah, dream scenario. Uh, we never have bad days. You know, we never drink alcohol. But um, you know, what's the effect of you know slipping up every now and again? Does it make too much of a difference? Okay, um, I'm with you there, Matt. Actually, I, I'm I'm all for consistency. I think consistency is everything. But it's so important <clears throat> to have balance in everything that you're doing. Okay, so. The moment anything starts to impede on your social life, so you say, right, I'm having absolutely no, no, no alcohol. So you're not going to an event. You're not going, you know, you're not going out with your friends or you're refusing to go for a meal with somebody or it's affecting your um, family or your friends, you know, relationships with your family or your friends. Then, you know, the balance is wrong. So, of course, you know, a little bit of alcohol here and there is not going to do you any harm at all. I mean, ideally stick to moderation in all things. And that goes without saying you're not going to go for a, a binge drinking session every day. <laughs> um, but, you, yeah, of course, a little bit of alcohol definitely won't do you any harm. The odd, you know, cakes. Um, I mean, I actually think it's a healthy habit to have, you know, 
one little treat. If that's what you really, really want, go for a treat a day. It could be, you know, a little bit of chocolate or whatever it is. That's my, again, that's my personal favourite. I have a small amount of chocolate each day. Whenever I feel like it, it might be the morning, the afternoon or the evening. If it takes my heart, sometimes I, I, I don't because I forget and it doesn't occur to me. But if it makes you feel better, if it has a positive effect on you mentally that's going to enhance your well-being and we can't be abstemious all the time because that's just too stressful you know life's too short for that yeah. awesome um i think that's some, some great advice to end on um then anita but it's been great to chat to you today and, and thanks very much my pleasure thank you very much for having me nice to meet you <laughs>